these next few weeks, I want to think with you about the way in which Jesus of Nazareth came to his death on a Roman cross. It's awful, right? And yet, the Apostle Paul says there's something about it that is so important that when he came into town, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now to us, that that could sound a little bit closed-minded. Could sound a little bit anti-intellectual. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But the Apostle Paul is one of the most educated people in the ancient world. And for him, when he closes his mind around Jesus Christ and the cross, it does just the opposite of what we expect. It actually opens his mind to an intellectual richness. And it requires a sense of uh, thoughtfulness that he wouldn't otherwise be called to. So I want to reflect with you uh, about that. This Lent, our, our series is called Crosswalk. And the idea is, how is it that we can walk with Jesus in light of his cross? We'll be reflecting together on, on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And when you read that letter, he talks about a lot of things other than the cross, right? Your body, your work, uh, marriage, singleness, these kinds of things. But he still says, I, I wanted to know nothing but Jesus and the cross. And I think the idea is this. He wants to see everything in light of the cross. It's the cross is like a lens that he looks through in order to see all these other sort of ways that we live in everyday life. That's what we're going to do. And in the letter, uh, he starts with the mind. This is where we begin also. How the cross of Jesus confronts and changes the way we think. All right, let's jump in. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31 aloud. Um, we're going to put the words on the screen so you see them there, but I would invite you to open up a Bible, the Pew Bible. It's page 926, and then you can kind of walk through it as we look at it together, uh, or open a device and navigate over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31 at the end of the chapter. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, 
but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. What a great passage. Well, have you ever questioned your own mind? Has that ever happened to you? Ever questioned your own mind? Your memory. I, I swore, I knew, I put my keys right here, I know it, right? Or your perception. Even though it seems like you're moving forward, it's actually just the train that's right next to you that's moving backwards. Or your thoughts, that kind of you jerk that kind of wells up sometimes or no one cares or this is gonna be a disaster, I, I already know it. Or your attitudes. You say, I'm not sexist or racist, but why did I just think that thought? Have you ever questioned your own mind? Have you ever wondered whether it's something that seems so very obvious, why it is, it sometimes is absolutely unreliable? Well, there's a skill here, actually, and St. Paul has learned to do that, and he's calling his readers to do that. That's what he says in verse 18. Again, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. His point for his readers seems to be that you can take philosophy as far as it goes with the Greeks. Or you could take religion as far as it goes with the Jews. And he's not opposed to philosophy or religion. He's an expert in both. But neither philosophy nor religion will take you as far as the cross will take you, which is to salvation. That's the word he uses, salvation. It releases the power of God, the cross. It, it gives us the ability to know God, the cross. The thing is, it makes no sense that God would die in our humanity on a Roman cross. That makes no sense. To save the world? So, Paul's arguing, am I to believe everything my mind tells me? He asks, where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul's raising questions about our minds the way modern scientists raise questions about the reliability of our own minds today. And there's a debate, you know this. Uh, for example, on one side, we have Sir Francis Crick, who says, you are your brain. And yet, on the other side, pushing back, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, the title of his book says, you are not your brain. <laughs> the interesting thing is, however you come out on that uh, dialectic, you'll be left in the same place. You'll be left questioning the validity of what seems obvious to you. 
I mean, if you say with uh, Dr. Crick, you are your brain, then what you're essentially saying is that your thoughts are nothing but electrochemical processes inside your skull. Or if you say with Dr. Schwartz that you are not your brain, what you're saying is that your reptile brain it d doesn't have to rule your life, that you actually have this thing called the mind which sits over the brain and you can adapt or change the brain through what we now call neuroplasticity. Either way, you come back to Paul sitting here in the first century asking this question, how do I know what I know? Uh, and how do I know that what I know or what seems obvious to me is actually true? And when it turns out not to be true, how do I know what I say to myself so that I can believe true truths? See, the cross questions our own minds in order to heal them. A wise African pastor once taught a prayer, and here's the prayer, and I want to teach it to you. Please, God, cross out the eye. Please, God, cross out the eye. Um, first taught it to a woman named Helen Rosevier, who was a great missionary, um, lived in Africa for uh, decades, Congo, Zaire. She was Cambridge-trained physician, came there working with lepers, building hospitals, pouring out her life and service to others. But at the end of the day, she got to a place where she was overwhelmed with anxiety. She was exhausted in ministry and absolutely burned out. And her wise African pastor noticed this one day and said, why don't you come, Helen, and stay with my wife and me in our home. And they invited her and prepared a room and um, just in there to, to rest and read her Bible and pray and just kind of recover and regain herself. Well, she there, there three days and Sunday arrived and she was still in the same state of crisis. And she came out and she sat with the pastor and his wife by the fire, just in silence. As time went by, the pastor opened up his Bible and turned to Paul, to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And he read from this verse, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Then the pastor took a stick out of the woodpile and he drew in the ground a straight vertical line. And he looked at Helen and he said, this dear Helen is the one who most often gets in our way, the capital I. The problem is that we can see so much of Helen that we can't see Jesus. He picked up the stick again and he drew this time a horizontal line through the vertical, through the eye to make a cross and he said to her, you'll find rest when you cross out the eye. May I suggest that every morning as you wait for your tea to cool, you pray this prayer. Please God, cross out the eye. See, the problem with our thinking is that you and I get trapped in radical subjectivity. That is... Uh, not just having a unique perspective, because that's a good thing, that's the way God has made us, but to be trapped in radical subjectivity is to have a unique perspective and then to take that perspective and make it supreme. You see, to put ourselves at the center of every thought. That's a problem. 
And as John Medina says in his book, Brain Rules, what's obvious to you is obvious to you. See, what he means is obvious to you doesn't mean it's true. It just means it's the way you see. That's just your perspective. He's getting at the teaching that's in the Bible in Genesis 2 and 3 when Adam and Eve come to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they eat that fruit and to come to that tree means, I think, to be the one who gets to decide what good and evil is. Not God, but to be, because like, it makes no sense not to eat of this tree. Why? I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that question. Well, because God said, because God, not, my, not me, is the one who gets to say what's good and what's evil. That's the test that, that occurred at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the temptation to make your own perspective supreme. And the Bible tells us the results is that our minds are notoriously unreliable. So, for example, the Bible teaches this, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Or Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The heart of the mind, he says, is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick, who can understand it? Jesus himself in Luke 6, 39 says, the blind leading the blind. He talks about that. He's talking about us. Paul, following Jesus in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, says the God of this world has blinded the minds of uh, us as unbelievers. Paul speaks of our, the futility of our thinking or our senseless minds. He says we're unable to understand spiritual truth apart from God. In other words, what's obvious to us on this side of the fall is just obvious to us, but not necessarily reliable or true. Contemporary commentators who have studied the book of First Corinthians say that the Corinthian culture was very much like our culture today. Very much like a postmodern culture. This is a pre-modern culture. But in both a pre-modern culture in Corinth and postmodern culture today in America at least, we tend to think that truth is socially constructed. That is, it's made up by the decisions of people. Corinth was a church that uh, was an elitist culture. They were on this north-south uh, uh, trade axis. You know, Corinth is on the isthmus which is a very difficult word to say in public, isthmus, uh, in Greece. And so they, had, they could control those trade routes. It made them very wealthy and a little bit elitist. They were also quite competitive. They hosted the Isthmian Games. Uh, they're kind of like the Olympics. And they were also an honor culture, which made they had a hierarchy of status. And this is where the boasting comes in that Paul talks about. The idea is you wouldn't want to offend the other people in your culture. You actually need their approval. And so what the culture thinks tends to be what you think. What's obvious to the crowd is what becomes quickly obvious to you. This is a form of collective subjectivity. And we today tend to think that truth is socially constructed or it's inwardly discovered. When we think about spirituality today, we tend to think about, well, what's just obvious, what's obvious to us, or what's obvious inside of me. We become our own authority, we make our own perspective supreme, we look around, say what others think, or we look inside. But is that reliable? Should you trust that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, if it is I who say where God will be, I will always find there 
a false God who corresponds to me, is agreeable to me. But if it is God who says where he will be, that place is the cross of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So Paul begins with the mind in his letter to the Corinthians because he wants to give them teaching about the way of Jesus. And what Paul knows is that the way of Jesus will not make sense in Corinthian culture. He knows that the way of Jesus will not make sense to us. And so he has to begin to raise questions about our thinking right from the very beginning. Because when you are faced with the way of Jesus, you have one or two responses you will either let the way of Jesus change the way you think or you will let the way you think change, quote unquote, the way of Jesus. Whose perspective will be supreme? And see what Paul's trying to do is he's, he's trying to heal. He, he, he's trying to encourage his readers to let Jesus heal uh, their minds. And it, it, it's just not gonna make sense. See, the cross heals our minds by helping us change them. When Paul says the message about the cross is foolish, foolishness, he doesn't mean it's untrue. He's not going, oh, you believe the message of the cross? Oh my gosh, that God would die inside our humanity on a Roman cross? That's foolish, you shouldn't believe that. That's not what he's saying, right? No, what he's saying is, he, he actually believes that's fact for Paul, this is fact. For his readers even, this is fact. But what he means is that this fact is the kind of fact that seems foolish in the context of everything else you currently believe. There's no way of integrating this fact, this one fact, into the structure of your pre-existing belief system. This is the kind of fact that you will either reject as senseless, meaningless, incoherent, or it's the kind of fact that you will allow, challenge, and revise all your other beliefs. Change your mind, not just about this one thing, but about almost everything. So it's a little bit like the old riddle. You probably will remember the the riddle. Uh, How's it go? There's a father and a son, and they're in a car accident, and the father dies immediately. It's a horrible accident. The child sort of is surviving. Its ambulance comes, takes him to the hospital, and as soon as they rush him into the emergency room, he's about to go under the knife. The surgeon says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. And you're supposed to go, what? How does that work? That doesn't make sense. That's impossible. That makes no sense to the story. Well, so you realize that the surgeon is a woman. This is the one fact that actually changes the meaning of all the other elements in the story, including your your unconsidered belief that surgery is a man's job. Change your mind. And and this is what Paul is saying about the cross. It's that kind of a fact. For Paul, the idea that God died on a cross in our humanity is the kind of fact that we must either reject and say, oh my goodness, this is foolishness, or we let it change every other belief in our minds, and at that point it becomes what Paul calls the wisdom of God, a new wisdom, a deep, deep wisdom that comes only from what God has done in Jesus Christ on a Roman cross. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, Paul writes, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And so the question, how can I change my own mind? And the answer is 
let the cross of Jesus question it. This is the teaching here. This is Paul's teaching here. Let the cross of Jesus question your mind. Well, how do I do that? Well, you can start with the prayer that the African pastor taught Helen Roosevelt. Please, God, cross out the eye. But I put my keys right here. I know it. Cross out the eye. But I'm going to mess this thing up. I know it. Cross out the eye. I'm not biased. Cross out the eye. Cross out the eye. Cross out the eye. Cross out the eye. You see, when you and I come before the cross of Jesus, it triggers an identity crisis. <laughs> it's unnerving. Because I, I live in two worlds of knowing. I, I live in one world of knowing in which I am the center, in which what is obvious is what makes sense to me. But I also live in another world, a world which there's a crucified Messiah at the center, a crucified Messiah who says to me when I behold the cross, this is where your mind by itself would lead you. This tree is the final destiny for those who make themselves sole arbiters of good and evil. This is the place of radical subjectivity. This is where it ends up, death. That's what the cross says to our minds. But I have come here ahead of you, the Savior says. I have come to this place in your place. I've come here in love to save you and in my resurrection to live within you. This can be not only your tree of knowledge of good and evil, but your tree of life. So, so when we come to the cross, we come to a crossroads. I can either walk away with my own wisdom or I can walk away with the foolishness of the cross and the wisdom of God. I, I can either walk away in my own thinking or I can walk away in a willingness to surrender my thinking, to take up his thinking and receive what Paul will call in the next chapter, this is a mind-bending phrase, the mind of Christ. We, his readers, he says, you have the mind of Christ, which is the spirit given ability to think the way that Jesus thinks about God, myself, others, the world, my life. He, Jesus can think through our thoughts. In that sense, we can trust them like nothing else. Please, God, cross out the eye. This prayer comes with a practice, and that practice is scripture, meditation, and memorization. I hope you've picked up or downloaded one of the Lent study guides, and there you'll find each week there's a practice. This week, the practice that we're gonna take up corporately, collectively, is this practice of scripture, memorization, and meditation. Paul's actually modeling it for the Corinthians right here. If you see the, the quotation marks, if you're still looking at the text, Isaiah 29, Jeremiah 9, he's quoting the text. The text. You cannot quote the text unless uh, you've memorized it. There's no Google for Paul, right? He's actually got it, he's committed it to memory. And you cannot let the text change your mind or your life unless you meditate on it. So in the next letter he'll write to the Corinthians, he says this, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. This seems to me like an apt metaphor today as we suffer with the Ukrainians. The metaphor seems to imply that the mind is like a citadel or a fortress or a walled city. And that's kind of your thought life, right? 
but, but the implication is somewhere inside of this, there are some subversive thoughts. There are some unsurrendered uh, thoughts and they're racing around like little green men, saboteurs with propaganda to try to get you off track. And Paul says, we, we take every thought captive. We ask questions about every thought. We question our minds in order to secure them and to free them because it was Jesus who said, if you follow me, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so those who follow Jesus are constantly raising questions about their mind and bringing those thoughts to the cross of Christ and revising them accordingly in light of God's word and the power of God's spirit. So, so this week, I, I want to invite you to join me in memorizing a verse, one verse from the Bible. It's like one sentence. You can do that, right? I'm going to do that. And so, so you might need to ask somebody what's a good verse to memorize if you're new to Jesus. Uh, if you have if you draw a blank, then how about verse 30 right here? This verse 30 is stunning to me. Here, look at it again. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus who became for us, Jesus became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Man, that is, that is the message of the cross right there. And it's such good news. Jesus is my wisdom, not I. Jesus is my righteousness, not I. Jesus is my sanctification, not I. Jesus is my redemption, not I. This is the gospel. So go ahead. Question your mind. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Crosswalk. If you've never let Jesus cross out your eye, then I want to ask you to let him do that today. He says in this text, consider your own calling. That's a call for each of us to think about. I believe, and Paul seems to be indicating here, that God is trying to get your attention. He's calling you in some way right now. He may bring you to this message just for the purpose of saving you today, to release the power of the cross into your life. And Paul says that God decided to save those who believe. Do you believe? This is a moment where you can. The Greek word for believe doesn't mean you make sense to me. The Greek word for believe means I trust you. So so if you can look at the cross today and see the one who gave his life for you and say I trust you, you believe. You can say yes to Jesus. You can cross out the eye and let Jesus bring salvation into your life. This is what it means to be a Christian. You can become a Christian this morning. I want to invite you to come after the service and pray with our prayer team who will be down front. Come to upc.org slash Jesus. Uh, press the button to chat. Interact with our prayer team right now. Say yes to Jesus. The fact is, all of us need to come to say to the crucified Messiah, I trust you, all of us. I trust you more than I trust myself. This is where the healing begins. This is where the healing began for Helen Rosevere. She took up the suffering of the people she came to serve and one day she was kidnapped, brutally beaten and locked away for months. And there was a particular night in captivity that she kind of came to the end of herself where her own faith just didn't make any sense. Her own life and service just didn't make any sense to her anymore. And she writes later, on that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified and tormented, unutterably alone, I had felt at last God had failed me. 
Surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things not have gone that far. I'd reach what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. But then she crosses out the eye. And that night, it was as though she heard the Lord saying to her, Helen, these are not your sufferings. These are mine. God met me, she would later write, with outstretched arms of love. And isn't that the message of the cross? Outstretched arms of love. That we meet God where we least expect divinity, in crisis. That we meet God in despair. That we meet God in pain. That we meet God in the God-forsakenness of a Roman cross. That God the maker of time and space, himself descended into the depths of our inhumanity, our injustice, our indignity to take you and me into his arms and save us. Let's pray. So before you, we kneel. We bring all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you King Jesus, crucified Messiah. You bend our minds to heal them, and we come. We come, Jesus. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us. For those who have never said yes to you, hear their cries right now and give them the assurance that through faith in you, your salvation becomes theirs. And the beginning of the way of Jesus. May we be a place where people can make the wonderful discovery that we together journey on the way of Jesus. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, that right now, in a day in which our minds are so seized and troubled by fear, we would have the mind of Christ. You would think your thoughts in our midst. Pray in Christ's name, amen.